Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sherry. Hi, I'm Sherry. I'm a compulsive overeater. My heart just started racing just after Michael was done with the chips. Thank you so much, Michelle, for asking me to speak here. And it's such a privilege and an honor. And, um, you know, I purposely wore eye makeup because usually that prevents me from crying. But listening to all, but no, I don't think it's going to work tonight because I'm just so full of raw emotion. And I was just so moved by all of the chip takers and, and the birthday and just being in this room and looking around the room and being here I've been here for over 10 years and I see so many faces that have been here you know from the very beginning you know sponsors that I've had that have helped me and and I couldn't have done any of it without all of you and I'm see here I go (laughs) already someone have a tissue um okay so what it was like what happened and what it's like now um I have some pictures that i scrambled to put together but not at my top weight because I had no idea that I would ever be in a program where I would need photos and I purposely never took photos when I was at my top weight because of my ego and my vanity so I would always say let me take your guys's picture and I wouldn't I was just too ashamed and the ones that I did have I really ripped up but you can see some in here um that I had online that I just put together where um you know I'm bigger than I am now and it also just tells, you know, it's just I just love when people bring photos because regardless of what the photos look like, it just helps me to connect with them, even though the people on the Internet can't see them. Um, just to get the figures out of the way, I have been maintaining a six-size weight loss, for, uh, which was about 50 pounds, I guess, um, for about eight years now. And I've been in program for 10 years. And I've just celebrated, I'm at two and a half years of abstinence, and that's another story, which I'll get to later. Um, And um, what else do I want to say about that? I guess that's it. I'm going to, you want to know my age, I'm going to be 45 soon, (laughs) in three months. (laughs) There, the rigorous honesty. Um, Okay, so what it was like. Um, You know what? I want to start with all the things that have happened. Actually, I want to flip it around because my childhood is really traumatic and it's sad. And I want to talk about that because there might be someone who relates to that. But I was just thinking about all the things that I've done in the last 10 years in program as a result of being in the program and as a result of working the steps over and over and over again. I'm now currently going through the steps for, I think, my 10th time. And I'm a true believer in the steps. Just doing the steps alone did not stop me from compulsively overeating, though. It helped, and who knows where I would have been had I not been on my 10th time of working the steps for me. I get a lot of outside help. I'm in three programs, entered a fourth one. Um, But the things that have happened for me as a result of being here with God's help, and I, I truly believe that today my life is beyond my wildest dreams. I would have never written down any of the things that I thought I would end up with that I have right now and mostly what they are is when I look in the mirror I love who I see I feel like I am finally um, I'm not disconnected from my body and my mind I feel like I'm a whole person and I've done a lot of work to get there I don't I felt when I came in here I was broken fragmented pieces of myself and I was and I was broken and I had to put myself back together and I've done that and I've been working hard on that 
and um, and I have a lot of peace and serenity. No matter what is going on around me, my response to things is just that's interesting. Like it just that's interesting, and I really believe that that is interesting. What's going on over there? But it doesn't affect me and my serenity, and I don't try to change what's going on over here or with this family member or with this. I really just keep the focus on myself, and I and I, I really trust more than ever my higher power's plan for my life. And I'm really in acceptance of where I am at this moment and not trying to be at a different place. And I think that's what's brought me most of the serenity. So just some of the things I've gone through in recovery. Uh, I left a 20-year career, started two other businesses, uh, which was really scary, downsized three times. Um, I was uh, I became an athlete in recovery. I never worked out or exercised before I came into program, and I ended up running a marathon three years ago. And I'm not even a runner, you know. So like anything's possible. <laughs> Just join a running group, and um, you know, like I signed I signed up for uh, a class because I was afraid of public speaking, and I fell in love with acting. And I I graduated a two year intensive acting program uh, last year, and now uh, that's my passion, and I'm doing that like. Uh, like so many things have happened in my life where I could have never it's like it's so crazy I pinch myself every day and I think this is the life I was supposed to have you know it's never I feel like I have um, gotten the childhood that I did not get as a result of being in program because I sign up for all these things and I and one of my favorite things to do is I take this dance class and that's super fun and like and I love to dance you know it's just like I don't know it's just never too late to get what I didn't have and it's my job to get that today um, I got to walk two friends, uh, two really close friends, through their deaths as they had cancer, and I and I got to be totally present with all of their feelings about that and uh, bringing my spirituality to them. And it wasn't too scary for me, no matter what they said or did. I was there, and we cried together, and it was the most intimate thing I'd ever done in my life. Um, that was amazing, you know, that I could have that kind of relationship only as a result of being here. And there's other things, but I'll come to that later. So what it was like. Okay. Um, what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now. Um, so um, I was born in Los Angeles, and um, I came into an alcoholic family, abusive family, and my sister was six and a half, seven years older than me, and there wasn't enough attention for her. So when I came, she tried to get rid of me by, like, trying to make me fall out of my crib, and it just was really apparent early on that it would have been Better. I think I was a mistake baby. That's what, sort of what I was told. I think my mom was trying to leave my alcoholic father, and then I came along. And um, so I just always had this sense of it would have been better had I not been born. And um, and so what I did for I just became a really good people pleaser, and I just tried to stay out of harm's way. There was physical violence. Uh, my mom was a rager, and she would hit me, and my sister as well. They beat up on me, and um, they'd pin me down and do all sorts of crazy things. I think that's why I'm claustrophobic today, um, because they, you know, they, these things that happened when I was a child. Uh, my parents divorced when I was seven, and I was asked, "Who do you want to go live with, your mom or your dad?" as if a seven-year-old should choose that. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what, what the result was, but I ended up with my mom, and my sister went with my dad, and we were totally separated then. And um, and actually, that was sort of uh, like the happiest time I ever had with my mom. It was just my mom and I. We lived in Belmont Shores, and she was struggling financially as a single mom. And I think they did that so that my dad wouldn't have to pay child support. This was a, this is what she told me for the rest of my life, what a loser he was, an alcoholic loser, and that he took my sister so he wouldn't have to pay child support. And, I, you know, food was not a problem yet. You know, I, I remember just, like, I could eat 
like some sugary cereal and take it or leave it. And it really wasn't a problem. I was an active kid. I was still like, even pictures of me as a kid, um, I'm still like smiling and trying to find the joy in life. I can see that. And then, um, and then like I go visit my, my father uh, on the weekends and then he started becoming inappropriate with me. So he started doing all sorts of crazy, horrible things that a dad should not do to a daughter. Um, like one, like teaching me how to play poker and pour his beer and all sorts of crazy stuff. And so I saw a lot of things that I shouldn't have seen and a lot of things happened to me that shouldn't have happened. And right, like there's a direct link for me because right after that happened, I went into the cupboard and all of a sudden I went back for the second one. And now all of a sudden the combination of the sugar and the flour registered that this is doing something physically to me, and I like this. I'm checked out now, and this is going to work for me. And this was how I survived. So I ate that, and then my mom remarried um, another pedophile perpetrator. And um, so then we lived with him uh, for my whole life, and so then he was inappropriate with me as well. And um, so I didn't have a mom that protected me, and this is absolutely the reason why I immediately started gaining weight to keep – it away from me, like to try to protect myself and have this outer shell. And um, so, you know, just a lot of damage was done with that relationship, more so with uh, inappropriate feelings that he had towards me and all sorts of weird stuff that really prevents me or prevented me for a long time until I came into program from being comfortable in my skin. And I would, I wore really baggy clothes and I got as big as I could and wore baggy clothes because then nobody would look at me or think I was attractive. And that worked for me. Um, so that was that, um, when I, there's a picture in there I brought of my, um, I, I was recently going to, I was going to go through baby pictures and all this, but recently that man committed suicide about a month ago. And thank you for everyone, all my friends in the rooms who reached out to me. Um, and it's, it's a really painful time right now because it's brought up everything again on a different level because he walked out into the woods and shot himself. And so all, like, the inappropriate guilt feelings that I had about whatever happened have come up, and now I'm back and getting outside help working on that. But I'm just, it's like, I'm not going through those pictures. So I brought a picture of me going from when I was a sophomore is when the weight really started to show. Up until then, I was active and it wasn't showing. Although I was stuffing my face and I was having incomprehensible demoralization. My mom was a baker and she would bake, she never talked to me, she never said I love you, they didn't, they, she never hugged me, it was, she just was not there. There was no nurturing from anyone in my family. Everyone was um, someone to stay away from. And I was thinking about this thing, I thought if I had a baby, what family, would I have any family members that I would let watch that baby? No, I have not. No uncles, no aunts, no grandparents, they're all effed up. I'm not going to curse, but they are. And, um, and so it's a miracle that I'm here. It's a miracle that I'm alive and it's a miracle that I'm here. Um, but she used to beg for me, and that was her way of showing love. And she was also a compulsive overeater, and she's actually come to some of the meetings like a few years ago with me and identifies. So we would binge together on all of her pastries that she would make, and then she'd hand me laxatives to go take laxatives or send me to the diet doctor. Um, but I really equated baking with love. And so um, it's really interesting how that ties in as a kid, and it's so like primitive, like that's going to fix everything, that's going to be the love. Um, but one time she was baking, and we had a kitchen where you can come in one door and go out the other, on the other side, and while she was baking the cookies, I kept going in and getting a bite of the dough, cookie dough, and she ended up with like 
one batch of cookies, and and it was really awful. And she and I got in trouble for that and yelled at and shamed. Instead of like, you might have a problem. <laughs> Let's see what's going. It was just you're a bad person, and you know how dare you. And so then I did a lot of secret eating. So I'd get up in the middle of the night and eat, and I just went through my cupboards. And um, so I brought a picture of when I was in my sophomore year, and I went to this junior high, and that's when I started. It was definitely noticeable. All the food I was ingesting was showing up on my body. And then the next year, I brought that picture to show you how I have the smile on my face um, because I had found my cocaine dealer when I was 16, and now all of a sudden I was, like, thin and lean. And I thought, and I didn't care about the food. Like, I still get excited thinking about it. It was like, <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, I don't have to eat all day long. I can be a normal person because nobody eats like me, and I'm a bad, awful person that I'm eating like this, and there's something inherently wrong with me. So I found my cocaine, not for the reasons that my friends did it, which, which was, like, to do it all and party. Mine was specific for weight, and it was, like, it was an equation, and it was, you know what? This allows me to eat three meals a day with my family. Like, I can just eat normally. I don't overeat, and I can maintain a certain body weight, and I won't think about food, and it was really like it was my savior for, let's see, I got sober when I was 33, so from 16 to 33, almost every day, well, all through high school, and then I found crystal meth for a few years, so I was a full-blown drug addict, and I've had to, in recovery, I've had to have my deviated septum fixed, and it's just a miracle that I'm alive, because I used to pray at night to just, God, please let me live through the night, and I won't do this anymore. And so my cycle, so I did that, and found the drugs, and so that's my form of bulimia. I, nothing else stopped. I could not diet. My mom would send me to diet doctors, and nothing nothing worked. Um I mean, I couldn't even do, like, a juice fast, ever. I mean, I'd last literally, like, two hours. <laughs> and then it's like, where's my food? You know, I have this deprivation thing that happens for me, and I'm just like, I need more and more and more, and I need backup. I need backup in case I run out. And that's how I am. And I like to prepare, like, ahead of time in case, you know, so I have my cough drop in case I in case I cough a little bit. I don't want to have that, you know. I have my water. I was going to have something for my hair if it gets too hot. Like, this is the sort of personality I have. Like, let's always prepare in advance. And with the food, it was like that. So I'd be thinking about lunch. You know what? I need to have this, this, and this. I need to order it now. I can go pick it up at this time. And then I won't run out. And then I'll have this in the cupboard for when I need it. You know, it was like a full-time job. And I always had enough cocaine. I never ran out because I always, like, I could just keep all the bindles in my closet of cocaine. And I wake up in the morning, do some lines of coke, go to work. Just like this, so you wouldn't you wouldn't know that I had a drug problem because I was highly functioning, and then um, and then on a good day I could just like be normal. But the last ten years of that um, that didn't happen. You know, the weight started to come back on even with the drugs, even with you know with the alcohol, and um, and then I felt like I was like my health was deteriorating, and I thought I was going to OD and. Um, and so I would overshoot the mark, and then, um, you know, I would just be ordering so much food and just, like, stuff, stuffing my face full of food. And my life was just me, my food, my alcohol, my drugs. And that was it. And um, and it was really scary. And um, what happened was I went to rehab, and there's a picture there of when I went to rehab. But I was so scared, and I had been to AA meetings um, 
and OA meetings prior to having, getting recovery, but I could not give up the drugs because I knew that I would gain all this weight. And so when I showed up to the rehab, I told them, I said, I'm here for um, drugs and alcohol, but mainly food. Food is the first thing. Like, that's the reason why I did the drugs. And they said, honey, just stay here and work out the first two. And we'll deal with the food thing later. Well, within one week, I called my mom, and she had to bring me sweats. I got busted out of my pants, and it was a very expensive rehab, and it was like a cruise ship, and I got my money's worth of eating, (laughs) for sure. And they came to me. Like, we had a gourmet chef, and there was only six people there. And it was me three times up there getting three plates full of food. It was like I hadn't eaten, which I hadn't eaten. (laughs) I was like, it was on. It was on. And then they'd take us out to the store sometimes during the day, I would get backup because I like backup. So then they had another little refrigerator. It was just my stuff in case I needed it. So, like, I had it covered noon to night. And they approached me and said, you know, this food, you know, maybe you don't want to have all this extra food. I'm like, I told you when I checked in here. (laughs) And it's on. And they were right, though. They were right. They were right that I needed to – because for me, when I drink – I don't, I, I will definitely, like when I overeat, I don't pick up a bottle of alcohol. And I don't, thank God I haven't called my dealer, even though I have the number still memorized. I, um, it won't go, it's the only number I have ever memorized in my head, and it won't go away. Maybe he's changed it, I haven't tried it, thank God. But I have it, it's 213 number. Uh, but like when I drink alcohol and get drunk, the only thing that cures that hangover is a lot of greasy food, and lots of it, and sugar, and all that. So they were right in the sense that I had to put that down first, and and I'm I'm glad it worked out like that for me. And so I and I'm glad that what I learned about I was so surrendered by paying all that money and taking all of my savings to go to that rehab. That's what I had to do to get sober, and um, and I just dove into the program, and that's that's how I've always been, just really willing to do whatever it takes and willing to take direction. And about um, so every month. For six months, I gained a size. So the, the, my, my size, when I was out there drinking and using, when I was doing crystal meth, I was down to a size two. I thought it was the best I'd ever looked. I'm currently a size six, so that was two sizes smaller. Um, and um, I don't count calories. Um, I, don't, I never have been a, count, a calorie counter. I just I know how to eat, and I know the portions to eat. And um, and I've uh, even when I was out there, I still was a healthy eater in a sense. So I would I would still go get like wheatgrass shots like to cure my hangover. And so a lot it did not work. It really did not work. Um, but you know, so I, I still continue to be a healthy eater, and so I know what to eat. And uh, anyway, so when I was out there, I was anywhere from a size two to a size eight. Like eight was the top, but I did have all those ranges of clothes. And at any one time, I would go up, and it would go up, and then I wouldn't go anywhere. If someone invited me to go to a party, I wouldn't go if I wasn't the right size. And I was really weight-focused. And when I took the drugs and alcohol away from, like, out of the picture, it was really uncomfortable for me to live in my skin. And I went up to a size 16, so I went up six sizes in six months. That's how uncomfortable I was. And then... um, at my woman's meeting, I shared with them. I was at a department store, and I saw myself in the mirror in the, in the fitting room, and I had this moment of clarity of, if this is what sobriety looks like, I'm going to kill myself. And I had never said those words before. I had always, I guess, been trying to with all the, you know, excess food and, and everything else that I was doing to my body. 
Um, but I said that, and thank God I knew that um, our, secret, our secrets keep us sick, and I learned all this in the other program. So I went up to someone in the meeting, and I told them that thought that I had. And she said, so-and-so goes to this HAL program. You should call her. And so that night I went to the grocery store <laughs> and got all my food that I would need in case I went to some other program. And, um, and I entered that program. Um, I guess it was I had six months of sobriety, and I entered that program. So that was in 2004. And um, I went to my first meeting. It was my first introduction to a food program, to anything having to do with compulsive overeaters. And I left that meeting as fast as I could before anyone could talk to me. And I went to the store, and I went down every aisle. And I got every favorite crunchy item, ice cream, frozen section, you know, whatever it was that I thought I was never going to have again. And I went home, closed the blinds, and ate like an animal because that's how I eat. I eat with my hands, frozen, out of the containers. I put it in the trash, and if it's still in the package, I eat it out of the trash. Um, and, you know, it's just not, it's not a picture. It's not like a vision for you. <laughs> and I'm definitely not going to get any dates like that, probably. I don't know. I don't know if someone's going to think that's too cool. So, um, so, um, so I did that. And then I went back, and then I started working the steps over there and answering the questions. And they gave me a food plan. That's what was really important to me. So they gave me a food plan that um, that helped me to have to stop eating around the clock because I was eating, like, all day long, all day long, three different fast food restaurants nonstop. And that was my jump start into OA. And I didn't last there very long because I soon realized that it was too rigid and that I was already so hard on myself that I couldn't bear to have, I couldn't bear to keep starting over because I ate an apple. It didn't, like, logically, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, and I thought, these people are, like, a little crazy. <laughs> so, sorry to say, but it was a little too, it was a little too tightly wound for me. And, um, and I thought, you know what, I, I'm, I'm here to be joyous and free and happy. I want to travel. I want to, I don't want to carry a scale with me when I'm on a date with someone. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I thought, this is not going to work for me. So, um, so I took what I, I actually still eat the same way for breakfast. And I took a lot of that and I incorporated it into my daily life, but now I wear it like a loose garment. Um, so I came into OA, I guess, when I had like a year of sobriety. And I've been here ever since. I took another detour back to that program when I thought that that was my solution because I wasn't, like, getting this. Um, and so I sort of want to just talk about the steps really quick. Not, I'm not going to go through each and every one. Um, but I want to talk about the amends process and um, because I talked about those two fathers of mine and, and that. And the healing I've done around that is incredible. And it takes a lot of courage. You know, it's, I heard this at a meeting the other day. It takes a lot of courage for anyone to come into any 12-step program. And to work the steps is another level of courage. And to continually work on ourselves and... And to continually want to improve and work the principles of the program into our daily lives and to be honest and vulnerable, it just takes a lot of courage. And so anyone who's here tonight, whether you're new or long time, you know, I'm just so grateful that I'm part of this group that, all, you know, I can call anyone at any time and we're all working on something. And 
And it's amazing that way. And I love how they say that we're not all, like, um, in a bad place at the same time. <laughs> Otherwise, like, we'd all just be, like, on the floor in a position. Like, you know, we all just, like, go through different stages. And I love that. And, you know, some days are miraculous. And I wake up and I think, ah. And then the next day I'm like, oh, my God. And I know that all of it is just part of my healing. So that first, my real father, I tried to contact him in recovery because I thought, Oprah, like, this is going to be great. It's going to be Oprah moment. And I'm going to find him. And I'm in recovery, and maybe he needs to get sober. <laughs> and I have a food program, and I was, like, abstinent then. And I thought, so I did a people search for him and found him. And um, uh, we met uh, for lunch. And I showed up there, and he was, like, already into his wine. Uh, I was like, oh, no, this is not uh, going to go well, I don't think. And he said, you know, I'm an alcoholic, not in recovery. And I said, I'm in recovery. And so I thought, maybe I can share the message with him. If nothing else, I was also looking to get answers about my childhood, which now I realize, like, that is a bad source to go to. (laughs) Let's not go back to the drunk. I heard so much information that I had forgotten, and I didn't need to know. Like, I didn't need to know that my mom was unable to breastfeed me and that – and that he, he gave me the, my bottle, and then he put that down and then took his bottle. This is what he told me when I'm a baby. And I'm like, ah, I could have done without that information. So it didn't go very well because his drinking escalated, and, and I realized it was triggering my own recovery. Thank you. And so um, I had to, like, let that go. And as a result, he left me messages saying, I, you're not even my daughter. You're this, just most horrific things that you could think of that someone would tell you. That's what I went through with that. So that didn't work out, and I had to give that all to God. And then with my stepfather, who recently shot himself, I, you know, again, after working the steps and working the steps, I thought, you know, I want to give him another chance. Like, let's go to therapy and work it out, because that's what I've been taught to do. And I do my part, and my resentment part is holding on to it, so now let's let it go and let's forgive and uh, again, I got more information about stuff that he did that I didn't know that made the whole thing worse for me. I see now that that was sort of self-will, me doing that too soon in my recovery. Um, he could never show up for me. I, gave, I opened the door and said, let's move forward. This is what I need from you. And he, it was impossible for him to do that. My mom, knowing what she knew about him, went back with him. So I have no mom, no, you know, no family. And it's all okay because my experience can help someone else, and it already has in tremendous ways in the program and outside of the program. And I really believe that I, I never came here. I never thought I was like a victim. But a lot of the things that I go through and a lot of the pain that I go through, there's a reason for it, um, as we all have stuff. And it's just a different level for me. Um, and so I continue to get outside help. And I continue to share about it, and I continue to grow and to heal. And you know what? I really want to do Q&A because I, I feel like that's really fun. Let's do that. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. How do I connect to God on a daily basis? This is exactly why I wanted to do Q&A because I probably didn't mention any of that. I connect to God all day, every day, and, um, you know, I wake up, I do a nightly 10th step every night, good, the bad, the uglies, gratefuls, and uh, any fears that I have. So I wake up every morning, I jump out of bed, I'm just so happy to be alive, and I'm so happy that I feel so good, and I, I just feel so healthy, and I just am a happy, I, I boot up happy, I just do. And so I jump out of bed, I get my coffee, um, I have three different daily readers that I've been re- – I switch them up every single year, Some uh, maybe some in this program, outside spirituality. Um, I'll take 
from any source that, that resonates with me that's all about love and the spiritual programs. And I read those, and that sort of sets my intention. And then I'm out in nature a lot during the day, and um, I do all the prayers. I have all the prayers memorized, um, serenity, third step, seventh step, eleventh step. And, um, and I, I do those as a mantra. And I'm out in nature, and I'm really present, and I really stay in the day. And I feel like staying in each moment is really keeps me it keeps me fully alert for all of the miracles that God brings into my life every day that I wouldn't have been present for and they happen so much that I always want to stay present for them because it could be a coincidental call it could be a business offer it could be it's just like miraculous what happens when I keep a clear channel to God um, I don't have any formal meditation practice because I sort of walk in nature and I feel like that is part of it um, Different times during my recovery, I went to the Self-Realization Center. I am someone who needs to go somewhere to meditate, so I've taken meditation courses, and that's been helpful for me. And in a group, I can really sit there for long periods of time. Um, so I hope that answered your question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can I talk about how I've used the steps in, um, in my forgiveness? Is that it? Okay. Um, yeah, well, the steps, um, I love that question. That's a really good question. The steps are in order for a reason, um, I truly believe. And so for me, like I had to do step four, and I had to figure out like what was, what was it, a, this negative energy that I had with someone else um, first, and then I could get to the fourth column in that and see where was I selfish, self-centered, dishonest, and fearful. Um, and then there's a, there's a really great prayer in our big book, um, about a fourth step, is that we pray for these people because they're sick just like us. And when I read that the first time, it doesn't say because they're sick. It says because they're sick just like me. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, it put us on, even that sick man that did whatever, you know, this pedophile guy, he's sick. And so it put me on the same level. I'm sick, he's sick. We're both sick. I have recovery, he doesn't have recovery. It gives me so much compassion for someone who doesn't have the capability to work on whatever they need to work on. And then I do the four-step prayer, which is, you know, I just, I pray for them. And for me, what really helps now, especially with my mom, who's still, you know, alive, I, I grieve a lot of these family members that are living because they're, like, not in my life, and it's sad. And um, I visualize her in a mental institution. I don't know if I've shared this before to a meeting, but I do. I visualize her up there locked behind these bars, and she can't get out. And then I'm doing, and I'm like, she's sick just like me, but she's locked up and I'm not. I don't know, just all these things that I have to do just really help me. I have a God box that I use. Um, and just that night, you know, there's a prayer that I do. I wish for them all the health, happiness, and prosperity that I would want for myself. And doing that prayer continuously for 30 days, um, it miraculously lifts it. And I don't look at these people as family members anymore or what they should have given me. I look at them as just a fellow sick person on the planet. And that helps, too. When I no longer expect anything from them, that helps, too. So hopefully that answered that. Do we have time for another one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. That's, I, this is why I love questions, because it's a lot of the stuff I wanted to touch upon. So the question is, um, with me having the fear of letting go of the weight... How do I deal with it now because I have let the weight go? That, okay, something like that. <laughs> okay. I have to say I'm still very uncomfortable with it. And currently, um, 
any time, like, I'm not saying that I'm not in my ideal weight because I just, I go to a doctor who actually does a whole body scan, and she recently gave me a report, and without trying, just from being in program, she said that, um, you know, I'm like such a healthy body fat percentage, and all the muscles in my body are exactly healthy, so all I have to do is look at that to see that, oh, I'm healthy. But there is this little extra thing that I do, and I keep it on, and sometimes I'm still overeating because when I do get leaner, I get terrified because, for me, it makes me feel like I'm in a little kid's body when I'm smaller, and then I think I'm going to be attacked, and I think I'm going to be hurt. And so it's it's an ongoing battle for me, mm-hmm. and um, I have, in program, I've been, like, almost a size smaller, and I was miserable miserable and uncomfortable and I feel like when God works out the stuff inside of me because it's an inside job then I'll be ready to maybe stop still trying to stuff my stomach you know because I sometimes do that still I sometimes still even though I'm not binging like I was I sometimes like to fill up because it's my way of like keeping people out so it's sort of like and even though people might not see that on my body I know that I'm doing it and I can tell so um, it's still it's still it's a work in progress. It's so much better than it used to be, and um, and I have friends in my life who I would actually say, please don't comment on my body, um, because it makes me really uncomfortable. You know, it just it just does. And uh, recently, just to wrap up, I'll just tell you, I'm, I just I'm back getting outside help, and I actually had two really inappropriate comments made by friends married husbands who are in the other program out of the blue this happened probably because I'm getting outside help regarding this issue and they said things to me that were so inappropriate so the good news is I could say I'm very uncomfortable with this conversation but they bypassed me and they kept talking and so what happens to me in those moments is I abandon myself and I feel like I've done something wrong and then I go overeat it's a it's this pattern and so my therapist on Friday said he said he wants me now that anytime that happens again that I'm supposed to say F off to them. <laughs> and I'm terrified of that because I, because, like, these, they could, like, extricate me from L.A., you know what I mean? I have so much fear around saying this is not okay, so this is my current assignment. And I'm ready. It's like I can't wait for someone to say something inappropriate so I can practice and then report back to him in a couple of weeks. It sounds sort of fun and liberating. I've never been that person, so we'll see what happens. Um, work in progress overall, yes. How have I worked through self-hate that maybe came around from childhood trauma? Um, well, when I was uh, six sizes, it started when I was six sizes bigger. I think I went to a workshop, uh, had to do a body image, and they wanted us to cross out on that body the parts that we hated about ourselves. And nobody could believe the parts that I crossed out. <laughs> it was really funny, but um, I did. And I had to start looking at myself in the mirror every day, and I found something about my body that I loved. And I focused on that, and I said, like, it could have been my ears or whatever. And... Um, and currently, it's been an ongoing thing that I've been doing for the last 10 years of um, being really kind to myself. And um, I have to do a lot of affirmations. This is a daily thing. I have affirmations all over my apartment, on mirrors, in my phone. Every time I boot up my phone, it says, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. Um, so it's a, it's a work in progress. So thank you very much for letting me be here.